the Empire Podcast this week, we are born to chat with Blinded by the Light director Gorinda Chada and her star, Fifak Kalra, which is boss, the boss, Bruce Springs. Anyway, all that and the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast, it is going to race through this week's episode because it has a bus to catch to Liverpool. And when I say movie podcast, I mean specifically me. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we're joined by two, count them, two colleagues of such lethal cunning, I'm looking straight at mm-hmm. our geek queen. Yeah, Death Stare. Hell, what's not Death Stare? Well, more of a friendly glance. It's more of a like bodily harm stare, at least. I'm a bit worried. What's the longest you can? Oh, I'll introduce you. Helen O'Hara is here. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And we're also joined by James Dyer. Hi, Chris. How are you, James? I am okay, thanks. You have sat directly to my right, so I can't look at both of you at the same time. Yeah, in is the this, same way that dogs this, can't look up, you can't look right. <laughs> is this like a, it's a tactical thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a power move. To keep me on my toes. Yeah. You've seen Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> That's it. You flanking me. Clever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the longest you can stare? I don't know, but let's not find out. We don't have time today to do staring contests. Chris, I, I am. I don't, I don't, you say that, and I know I said at the beginning, I have a hard out. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. to be out of here in 50 minutes. And that's tough for us. It's very we tough. Do, we don't do tight 50s. We always say it'll be a tight 45, tight 45. and it's usually 95. It's closer to hours than minutes, mm. usually when we say that. But I think you've hit upon a fascinating thing. Does a staring contest work on an audio medium? James. And they're staring. I think we're saying... No. <laughs> I'm there's... staring into your soul. See, there's a gaping you abyssal have... void. You have found the one thing I'm good at. I could do this all day. <gasps> you know I what know. I saw last night? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Should we stop? I mean, it's not translating brilliantly to audio, is it? That The listeners be the judge of that. Yeah, I think they're judging. I've gone badly. Uh-huh. All right, I'm going to stop it. Ah, oh, I win. Okay. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Victory is mine. <laughs> Let me tell you, usually I can go for minutes. Golly. Wow. Um, so, hey, last Ladies. night, though, can we talk about it? Should we talk about last night? Yay. Helen, Helen. Yes. We can't talk about those things on there. It's inappropriate. Isn't it? What happened last night? I saw Endgame again. How oh, did you say for the film? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. very good. Very I'm good. I'm not a communist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yes, it was lovely. Lovely. Kevin Feige Should we came. say to what it was? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rather than just talking about yeah. last What was last night? Well, we went to Hawksmoor afterwards, my wife and I, which was oh, very, very nice. nice. You. Yeah, You're so fancy. You. Celebratory steak. Anyway, um, yeah, so last night we had a very, very special event. We thought it had been a while since we talked about Avengers Endgame on a podcast. <laughs> we decided to have another one. And uh, this time we had Kevin Feige himself, Grand Poobah mm. of all things Marvel Studios. That is his official job title. Don't look it up. And uh, he was in London. Yeah. So we, we decided, hey, Kevin, let's do a, a live show. And he went, yeah, let's do the show right here, folks. And so we did a 45 to 50 minute Q&A, very spoilerific before the film. <laughs> which, which three people in the audience had not seen. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> we should also mention that it was a very special sort of somber eulogy night where we celebrated the life of the great man Thanos and celebrated his <laughs> achievements. Oh my God. Uh, and, you know, and I think all of us were moved. Uh, I was indeed moved. I hoovered up Thanos in a <laughs> at the end of the night and uh, put him in the bin. Yeah, where he belongs. By the way, spoiler for Avengers Endgame. Yeah. In case, <laughs> in case anyone listening to this hasn't seen the film, and we judge from last night, there are still people out there who haven't seen the biggest film of all time. And that's totally fine. That's totally fine. That is your right. Sometimes no judgment. You won't, you, yeah. No judgment. Sometimes you will look at these movies and you think, you know what? They're not for me. They're stupid films for kids. I'm not going to watch those. I'm not going to be entertained. How dare I? But I do question someone who goes along to an Avengers <laughs> Endgame Q&A and hasn't seen the film. Hmm. 
That was perhaps That's, a strategic error on their yes, part. Yes, anyway. Yeah. So. But they seemed happy enough. Fun. Yeah, they seemed happy yeah. enough. Mm. Um, and it was it was a great night and uh, it was always nice to hear Kevin Feige talk about his master plan. And cackle wildly as he did so. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was a great night and if you want to hear that night, that was a night for subscribers. So here's, here's the thing. Mm. This week the new issue of Empire hits the stands and you might be asking yourself, why should I subscribe to Empire Magazine? Well, so many reasons. So many reasons. Mainly One, because we keep love us you in a job. That would be mm-hmm. good. We like that. Jobs uh, are good. Jobs are good. Pay my wages, you absolute fuckers. All that sort of stuff. That's good. But also, if you subscribe to the magazine, you get lovely bespoke subscribers covers with every single issue. So this month's issue, for example, we celebrate the 30 films of our lifetime. We're 30 years old this year. So we decided to have 30 covers, one for each film of each year that we've been around. Mm-hmm. So if people have been writing in going, why is Schindler's List not got a cover? Well, because it came out in 1993 and Jurassic Park gets a 1993 cover. So That's sort controversial. Of it is controversial. Yeah. And you could argue the toss all day and we, when we did and we will going forward. But that's, that's yeah. why. So you get a lovely bespoke Shawshank Redemption cover, which, uh, which is absolutely lovely. It's glorious. Uh, really, really glorious indeed. And also you get invites to events like last night, which mm-hmm. was an exclusive Empire subscriber only event happening right here in London. We're aware that it's very London centric at the moment. We are taking steps. We are. To yeah, do are. things. Outside London. Stay tuned. That's all I will say on that for the time being. Mm. But uh, very, very exciting times ahead. So subscribe to Empire, buy the new mm. issue, pay my wages, you absolute fuckers. And the short term redemption subscribers cover is lovely and worth having because you know what they say, Chris? <laughs> they say, well, they say two things, James. Yes, they do. They do. Would you like to start they with say, the first one? I will. I will. <laughs> they say, if you don't like Shawshank, chances are you're beyond redemption. That's one thing they say. What's the other thing they say, Chris? The other thing they say, James. <laughs> And when they say when they, when I say they, I mean me specifically. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. one review yeah. of Shawshank Redemption, I bought these two singers. Fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, get busy living. Yeah. Get busy buying. Very good. <laughs> I mean, Chris, you I'm have such, written something that is such a hack. Stood yeah. the test of time. Those uh, lines have been have no, been legend in the Empire Office yeah. now for fifteen years. I mean, it's no smell it with your eyes, but it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That was a Dan Jolin line from the movie yes. Perfume that he apparently <laughs> expected me to cut when I was reviews editor, and I refused. Do you remember when uh, he, uh, he he reviewed uh, Borat and he said it was so funny it would burst half the blood vessels in your face, which didn't sound like a recommendation. <laughs> I have to it say, was. he gave that five stars, which is mad. But anyway, it is mad. It's but very that, funny. And, but anyway. All that preamble, because this is a tight 50, guys. It's going well. We've got to be out of here soon. Long story short, the Kevin Feige event was amazing, and you will stand a chance of getting along to events like that, which is very exclusive, very intimate, if you subscribe to the magazine. And if you didn't get along last night, and only 100 people did, it will be out as a podcast. So we recorded the whole thing. At least I hope I did, because I left James in charge of it. And <laughs> uh, it'll be up. August 23rd, because the Blu-ray and DVD of Endgame comes out September 2nd. Right, okay. <laughs> yes, uh, Helen and I have already organized several viewing parties. <laughs> I've um, only seen it nine times. I mean, I'm... I'm only know. on six. Oh. <laughs> Such a pauper. Right, okay, so let's get to this week's question. And this week's question comes from at Dust for Eyes via Twitter. And uh, he sent along the XKCD Positive Opinion Challenge which is a cartoon strip that's on the internet on popular opinions. And their positive opinion challenge is name a movie that you genuinely like, mm-hmm. not one that is so bad it's good, mm-hmm. 
that came out in your life post-2000 and is rated below 50% on Rotten Tomatoes? Why post-2000? I don't know. Maybe it just makes it easier or harder. Maybe I don't know. they're just quite young. Possible. I, I no, XKCD's been around for a long time, so I feel like they're older. But the right answer to this is obviously Constantine. See, you surprised me because we talked about this before the podcast. Mm. I am surprised that is not high on Rotten Tomatoes I know. on account of it being excellent. Yeah, really, really, really good. <laughs> but this is, I mean, it is the obvious and easiest answer. Is it Yeah. Is it Or you could go Captain America, the first Avenger, but I don't think that's below 50. No, no it can't be. Talk amongst yourselves while I check that out. <laughs> uh, this feels like it's, it's sort of perilously close to the kind of secret reviews shame side of things. Mm. So mine might be Passengers, which oh I my God. famously gave four stars to and still think is great. And yet, apparently, I stand alone. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Mm. It's no Titanic in space. No. <laughs> among the stars, Chris. Titanic among the stars. Oh, Titanic among the stars. Um, so amongst I, was, I was too busy getting living, getting by. Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, what? what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, I refuse to take responsibility for Men in Black 3 because at no point did I say it was good. I said it was fine. <laughs> I don't think you should take responsibility for Men in Black 3. I think the people responsible Somebody for Men in Black yeah. 3. Yeah. Uh, Captain America the First Avenger is 80% on the Of course it is. You know why? Because it's great. Tomodometer. I would be surprised if any um, Marvel movie, bar maybe Iron Man 2 and Incredible Hulk, were below 50 No, I don't think, yeah. Below 50 is uh, fairly low. The 50s. Yeah. Uh, but what, what does Constantine get? What it's like 40-something, which is insane. bananas. Well, it was much maligned at the time. Yeah. And I think only over the last few years has it uh, started a slow and steady climb towards classic status. Well, the thing, um, I, I mean, it is fantastic. It is a terrible adaptation of the comic in terms of fidelity, certainly. Yes. You know, he's no longer a blonde Liverpudlian. Keanu Reeves, yeah. I don't believe, has played a blonde Liverpudlian, and I, for one, do not want to see him I try. I don't want to see. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> now, That'd can be you terrible. imagine? Hey, the busies. I'm going down Anfield. And we're like Arnold Schwarzenegger, isn't it? It does sound like Schwarzenegger. I'm going down Anfield to watch Liverpool play. Oh, mate, stop. <laughs> it's neither below 50 nor after 2000. Blade's only at 54%. That was Whoa. my long shot. I wanted to check it, but it's at 54 So that's perilously close. I have an answer here. Okay. I have an answer. So bad it's good has been disqualified, right? Right. And because post, we're, we're talking about post-2000 here. Yeah. So I looked it up. Sadly, this doesn't qualify. But Event Horizon... I was literally just yeah. looking at ...is 27% oh. on the tomatometer. Yeah. Uh, and that, again, is a film that was kicked to ribbons mm. when it came out. Can you be kicked to ribbons? You can now. You can and, now. Uh, you know, it got the full Dr. William Weir treatment when it came out. But at the time, I said, this movie is fantastic and it will stand the test of time. And that's mostly true. I mean, we're going to be talking about it a bit in news, aren't we? So... Yes, we are. I don't, yeah. think I've, I don't think I've ever had more people <laughs> get in touch with me to make sure I'm aware of a news story yeah. than, than this week. And yes, I was aware of this and yeah. weirdly have been aware of it for a little little while mm. to the point that I thought it was already news. So when everyone was going about it saying, oh, hey, this thing's happening, I was like, huh? <laughs> That's been out there for ages, hasn't it? Then I realized, no, it hadn't. Anyway. Um, I have another couple of possibilities. Yes. I know some people will say, I don't think I'm one of them. Batman v Superman, which is on a whopping 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. See, but it says love. Okay, so I'm a movie that you love. Sure, but I'm speaking for the many people who apparently love it because they've been mobbing my mentions well, all week. I don't think that Batman versus Superman colon Dawn of Justice deserves to be that low on the tomatometer. No. Um, but I don't love it. No. But I think it's it's a better film than the tomatometer might suggest. Mm. I think that's fair. Uh, but here is the right answer. 
No, no, no. I know what you're going to say. Shut your face. Shut your face. I pay it gladly. (laughs) (laughs) Careful, James. Yeah. (laughs) You tried to pull my dreams. (laughs) It is, of course. Oh, the masterpiece. Kurt Wimmer's... (laughs) 2001 or 2002 yeah. sci-fi masterpiece <gasps> Equilibrium. Equilibrium yes oh that, that film is fucking brilliant or at least it was last time I saw it which was about <laughs> 15 years ago now if I were to watch it again now it may just be oh my god it's Sean Pertwee's disembodied head and a lot of people in trench coats and motorcycle helmets yes. however mm. I still maintain it's Christian Bale's finest album. I saw it more <laughs> recently than that and I still quite liked it if I recall there correctly. you go that's what we go for quite liked it yeah yeah I remember coming out of Equilibrium the first time because I went to see it. Uh, I was just a, a mere cub reporter here at, uh, at Empire Towers. I was sent along to see this movie and I went along kind of uh, not really wanting to go, a little bit begrudgingly, and it blew me away. Mm-hmm. And I came out of it going, guys, I've seen the future of action direction. <laughs> and and it, name, is gun kata. <laughs> it is gun kata. Yeah. And I remember I got Kurt Wimmer on the phone and I was so excited about it. And I was like, oh, my, tell me how you came up with gun kata. It's amazing. And then he made a second film, Ultraviolet, which was oh my an God. absolute so car crash. And and that was all she wrote on that one. Mm. Uh, to the point where it's one of those movies that makes you kind of ref- think, was I wrong yeah. Equilibrium? <laughs> like The Love Guru. Yeah, like The Love yeah. Guru makes you call into question was, everything Mike Myers has Wayne's ever done. Was good? Yeah. Yes, it was. I it was, it was, was. I had to go back and check, though. Was Soy Married and Axe Murderer great? Yes, it was. Was mm. Austin Powers great? Yes, it was. So thank God. But yeah, it made me call into question Equilibrium, which if you don't know, is a 1984 rip-off. <laughs> uh, sorry, homage. Mixed with a Matrix ripoff, mixed with mm. Matrix Diggs. homage. Yeah. It stars Christian Bale, Tay Diggs, Sean Bean, Emily Watson. Emily Watson is she? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not Emma Watson. The other one. Emily Watson. Emily Watson. Yeah, okay. Um, and who else? Uh, Sean William Fickner's in it. Bill Fickner. Uh, the, the Pertwee. Oh, the Pertwee. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who plays father? Doesn't he? <laughs> and he's. It's a, yeah. it's a modern day, it's a dystopian future society. Yeah. There's no emotion. They take People drugs. are not allowed emotions. They interval to suppress their yeah. emotions. Mm. And, right. the, uh, the and he is John Preston. Yeah, John Christian Preston, Bale. the highest ranking ter- cleric. 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 Yes. Uh, and these are guys who go around basically Burning shutting, the Mona Lisa. Burning the Mona yeah. Lisa, destroying books, the whole thing. Full on fascist. Um, but they've uh, this worked may be out. Steve Bannon's favourite film uh, up to a certain point. The key here is that they have scientifically worked out the probability of <laughs> angles of attack. So by using maths and trigonometry, they automatically know in any gunfight where bullets will be coming from. And yes. so they do super geek maths yes. to become like Neo in the Matrix. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's and super cool. There are some amazing, very low budget action sequences, but they but have some real polish yeah. and a land. the amazing ones. Yeah. Like when he gets his two pistols and he gets these little bits come out of the handles and he just pistol whips the shit yeah. out of about also dollars. one of the great reloads that was one oh, of the features yes. that we never wrote yeah, yeah. but he basically he basically throws his spare cartridges yeah. down a corridor and then they've got fights like weevil bottoms don't yeah. they then fights his way along the corridor <laughs> and then slams his gun down oh, to reload it's incredible <sighs> so cool. and it's a bit where they're like he's it's a spoiler for the film sorry but like when they're chatting to him and like they've got him wired up to an, to an ECG and you see his heart rate his heart rate bah, 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 and then suddenly his heart rate goes Bzzz, like he goes completely flatline and they just look at him and go, oh, shit. And he kills all of them. It's amazing. Oh, Literally, Angus, Christian Bale, never been better. Angus McFadden. Angus McFadden. Oh, Angus McFadden. Oh, what, what a film. film. Check it out. If you haven't yeah. seen Equilibrium, do check it out. <laughs> do it. And don't blame us yeah. if it turns out to be rubbish. Because <laughs> I'm worried about it too. I haven't gone back to see it for ages. But It uh, was fine. It was gun fine. Gun Qatar. 
It's uh, tremendous. And speaking of things that you thought that we had written, but we didn't write or we did write or things that we wanted to write, but never wrote. We never wrote our fit directors piece, Helen. And uh, I'm not going to say the name of the person who got in touch with me this week, but uh, a freelance writer got in touch and he wants me to contribute to a piece called How Come Movie Directors Are Handsome Now? (laughs) And uh, he he mentions people like Taika Waititi and Carrie Fukunaga and mm. Zack Snyder and Jordan Folk Roberts, uh, mm-hmm. who are are all all handsome you know, handsome men. Re, you know, really really ridiculously mm. good looking people. Ridiculous. Stop I mean, objectifying filmmakers. In fairness, like Taika Waititi actually was not eligible for our list not because eligible. he because he acts as yeah. well. Yeah. Because otherwise the list would be all like Ben Affleck mm. and people like that, yeah. and that's just not. No acceptable. no no no. We're very clear about this. Very clear. Directors have to be directors first. Yeah. And then actors second. If at all. Or you can you can make your debut being a director and an actor, like Jim Cummings of Thunder Road. That'd be a fit director. But, you know, mm. if you're starting an actor first... I mean, come on. Then you do the directing? I feel like so if Taika, you're... Taika, Taika he's actually only, does Yeah, he did actually he? start as a, as a director, but, yeah. I mean, he's been... He's taken kind of leading roles, so I feel like that disqualifies him now. Which is a very upsetting, because otherwise he'd be number one with a bullet. Um, Would he? Have you seen Chad Stahelski? I mean, have you I seen Carrie Fukunaga? Carrie ha- <laughs> Fukunaga is an extraordinarily <laughs> handsome man. That's true. And anyway, of course, you've got Catherine Bigelow, Amma Sante. I mean, uh, yeah. it's the great unwritten feature of our lives. And it's the one thing I regret about leaving staff at Empire without ever having written it. You know, I one feel day, like, Helen. One day. I mean, if you'd, oh. if you'd written it, you I would have left earlier. Yeah, I would have left a lot earlier. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's stop objectifying filmmakers. God, yeah, terrible good point. Thing. Good yeah. point. Awful. Right. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast while we're doing a tight 50, then <laughs> uh, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, where else can you do? You can Facebook us. We're on Empire Magazine on Facebook. And you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for the first of this week's two guests, both of whom are from the film Blinded by the Light, which is a Bruce Springsteen-inspired tale of a young Pakistani guy who gets deeply into the music of Bruce Springsteen and finds that changes his life in interesting and unexpected ways. It is directed by Grinda Chadha, the director behind the likes of Bend It Like Beckham, and we sent along Ben Travis to have a good old chat with her about a great many things. Do enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, Gurinda Chado, the director of Blinded by the Lights. Thank you. Good How to you be doing? here. Um, I'm a bit knackered, yeah. but uh, <laughs> we're doing a lot of talking. Yes. Um, but since I'm talking about one of my favourite subjects, Bruce Springsteen, I'm okay. Amazing. And it's the, the morning after the night before, right, as well, because it was the uh, gala screening last night. Well, that's it? actually why I'm tired, yes, because <laughs> I was dancing all night. Wonderful DJ, Bally Segu, mm-hmm. you know, who, who was from the original 80s Bhangra music scene in Britain, was spinning. Yeah. And um, he was the original guy who mixed reggae and uh, rock and uh, pop music with Indian tunes mm-hmm. and he was doing that last night and so every song was like oh oh I got dances oh I got dances so yeah I'm def- definitely feeling a little bit uh, weaker today <laughs> but I've got a green juice here in front of me that'll solve everything green yes. juice solves it all <laughs> so yeah your, your new film is sort of indebted to the the music and the lyrics of, of Bruce Springsteen yes let's start with the title blinded by the light obviously <laughs> First track on the on the first album by Springsteen, yes, um, but not one of his most well known songs. How did you settle on the title? Did you go through various song names before you settled on uh, "Blinded by the Lights"? Well, it's it's interesting because you know the obvious title was "Born to Run," mm-hmm. but uh, Bruce's uh, autobiography is called that, so we couldn't really take that. And the thing about "Blinded by the Light" is 
it's a song that no one really knows what it means, right? Mm. But I just thought it was a great title because it brings you in and you're like, well, what exactly does that mean? And you have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I like titles where you have to think, well, what does that mean? And, of course, it, you realise, you know, by the end, in the, in, in the speech at the end, the mm-hmm. context of Blinded by the Light. But it just felt like that was a smart title. We did look at lots of other titles. Yeah, what else know? came up in those well, discussions? Well, Promised Land, but mm-hmm. you know, then you're thinking, oh, am I making a, a film about Israel? Right. You know, like Thunder Road, but then there was that... Uh, the other Thunder Road that came out this exactly. year. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's quite hard, Dancing yeah. in the Dark, that doesn't really reflect the film. Doesn't have the, the same film. resonance, no. no. Hungry Heart. Mm-hmm. That could have worked. Yeah. Hungry Heart could have worked. But then it was a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there obviously is that lovely sort of romantic element to the film, but that's a that's a smaller piece of, of the whole, right? Yes. Um, yes. Speaking of Hungry Heart, I was going to come to this later, but we'll get to this now. Um, we spoke to you for the latest issue of Empire, which is on sale now for everyone listening. Mm-hmm. And one of my favourite things that came out of that was when you went to Sundance with the film earlier this year, yourself and the cast, you were sat in your car before the screening, yes. all belting out Hungry Heart. <laughs> yes. I absolutely loved that. Why, why that song? Was that a sort of talismanic song? for you when you were kind of putting the film together? Well, I think it's one of those songs that's easily sing along to, you know, you can mm. sing along to it. Anyone can sing along to it. And Vivek Calro plays Javid and the young cast, they don't really know Bruce songs. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one that they did know, you know, um, and it's easy to follow along. Mm-hmm. But we, all the way there, we were actually playing quite a few songs, actually. Mm-hmm. It's just by the time we got to the premiere, Hungry Heart was blaring out. And so we were all singing that, you know, on the red carpet you know i might do that in new jersey actually for the new jersey premiere wow yeah i think i might do the same thing with all of us actually you should do that yeah that would be fun right you know because of course it's new jersey so we'll get everyone singing along so i must get a really good speaker actually and, and do that but then what i did do was when i went inside I was very nervous in the theatre when I had to introduce the film mm. because it was in the Eccles Theatre, that's 1,800 people. Mm-hmm. And this was a film that the festival director at Sundance had said is the most commercial film at Sundance and it's available to buy. Yeah. Magic words. <laughs> um, so all the industry was in the room mm-hmm. and all the distributors were in the room. And I was a bit nervous about that. But there was, as I walked on... I heard a whole bunch of people go, Bruce. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yes, this is great. It's a home crowd here. Yeah. And on spur of the moment, I just said, let's get in the mood. Mm-hmm. Who's going to join me? And everyone's like expecting me to say very directorial things about my movie. Mm-hmm. And I just went, got a wife and kids in Baltimore, <laughs> Jack. <laughs> and then the crowd all started joining in. Amazing. <laughs> clapping. And uh, it just sort of got everyone in the mood to have a good night. And then that Sundance screening was the first time I saw the film with an audience. Right, with yeah. A pub, with members of the public. Because it had been such a kick, bollock and scramble, as we mm-hmm. say, you know, to get it finished for Sundance on time. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it. So I sat there with the audience thinking... They're either going to think that I've murdered Bruce Springsteen's songs <laughs> by setting them in Luton, which they've never even heard mm-hmm. of, and through the lens of a sort of Pakistani kid and his family, and they're going to go, what the heck is this? Or 
they're all going to go, well, this isn't Bend It Like Beckham, you know. <laughs> so I honestly had no idea how the film was going to go down. But I liked the film, you know. Yeah. I thought it was good. I had shown it to Bruce by this point. Yes, you'd had the fateful screening. I'd had the screening with Bruce, which I was very nervous about. This is my director's cut. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the screening, although there was no clapping, nothing, silence, and I thought, oh, this hasn't gone well, uh, I went down to the front of the, uh, the room to turn the lights on and Bruce got up and walked over to me and gave me a big kiss oh. and he put his arms around me and he said, wow, thank you for looking after me so beautifully. Oh. And he said, don't change a thing. So I was like, well, Bruce likes it. I don't <laughs> care about anyone else, to be honest with you. Um, the ultimate endorsement. Ultimate endorsement. And then as the film started playing, people were really responding to it mm. and sometimes laughing at things that weren't even funny, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but that's Americans for you, right? <laughs> uh, but I think it was just the general wanting to have a good time yeah. and, and the relief of how I was using the music mm -hmm. so that it wasn't, it, it wasn't going to upset Bruce fans. Yeah. But also, if you weren't a Bruce fan, you were following the story. Mm -hmm. And everything... You know, it was going very well. And then the scene happened in the airport. Mm -hmm. um, for people who haven't seen the film, I won't spoil it. Mm -hmm. But there is a scene that happens in an airport in America that actually happened in real life. Right. And the audience was very nervous mm -hmm. about this scene in the airport, given current events in America. But something the passport official says... Mm -hmm. A passport official actually said those words to Safraz when he went to a Bruce concert in New York right. in the 90s. And when the passport official says those words, it's so interesting because in Britain there's absolute silence. Mm -hmm. In America, the roof goes Rapturous up. Rapturous reception. Honestly, I thought, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> like people going, woo, and all this. And I know... I almost took that out because with really? my yeah because I was like no one is ever going to believe this scene mm -hmm. and everyone's going to say oh this bloody Gorinda she's got all cheesy on us and <laughs> blah 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 so I honestly I was going to take it out and even now I know people will watch the film and mm -hmm. will criticise that scene in Britain because they'll think it's too hokey but, but it, it true. actually happened yeah. so in the end I kept it in so I'm glad I kept it in because it makes Americans feel good but it's probably a bit too much for, uh, <laughs> for Brits <laughs> You mentioned there that it's, it's based on the memoir by um, Safraz Mansour mm. the amazingly titled Greetings from Berry Park which if you're a Springsteen fan and know the sort of yes. uh, play on words there. That's great. Yes, um, greetings from Asbury Park. Of, of course, being the first album, and you guys worked on the script together, right? Mm. How did you how did you thread the songs into the script? How what was your process for picking which songs? Because I was really pleased that things like the Promised Land is one of my favourites, and yes. that gets a real big showing. Yeah. I think as well we'll come to this in a minute, but the the Jungle Land scene I thought was absolutely fantastic. Oh, thank you. Um, how did you pick the right so, song for the right scene? We basically so Safra is a journalist mm -hmm. and a great journalist not a screenplay writer mm -hmm. but he really wanted to have a go so I said look why don't you have a first go I sat him down gave him some tutorials on script writing taught him the three act structure of Robert mm -hmm. McGee so he had a go and you know and he has a great ear for dialogue and lots of great details but obviously screenplay writing requires a lot of structural work mm -hmm. And he was sort of lost there. And so once he'd sort of finished 
putting in his uh, details and and very nice characterizations and stuff. I um, took it over and then I started turning it into a screenplay, really. Mm. And the challenge for me was here is a film about a writer and writing. How do I make that cinematic? How do I turn words into, you know, emotion and pictures, mm -hmm. you know? So I then sat down with every single Springsteen song that I thought was relevant mm -hmm. with the lyrics. So lyrics.com was my friend for a long <laughs> time on this. And I poured over lyrics with the script in my head and we already knew the basic songs that we wanted to use, mm -hmm. but like I needed to pinpoint it and be specific at this point. And so I started taking verses from particular songs and inputting them into the script like dialogue. Mm -hmm. So literally, if you look at our shooting script, there is, you know, where you have the character's name, I have Springsteen. Right. You know, and there's the dialogue, oh, you amazing. know, but it's lyrics. And I had carte blanche to use anything Incredible. I wanted of Bruce's, but I was very careful because I had a big responsibility to him. I had to create images and, and, and a film that lived up to the legacy of his work, but also would please him. At the same time, I had to tell my story mm -hmm. of Javed and this Pakistani family in Luton in 1987. But also I was aware that there would be a lot of people out there who weren't Bruce fans, those sad people. <laughs> um, they can and... be converted. Still <laughs> That's the mission. <laughs> yeah, but there would be people who go, well, I'm not really a Springsteen fan, you know, mm. so I'm not going to see the movie. So I had to sort of make it feel like you didn't have to like Springsteen to see the movie. So I was juggling these, you know, three different things in selecting songs and music. So I had to, I took this attitude where I said, okay, Bruce Springsteen does not exist as a rock legend. Mm -hmm. What I have here is songs that someone has written for me for my film. Mm -hmm. So imagine taking Born to Run and saying, well, yeah, it didn't exist before. But <laughs> I know you do it at the end of it, all your concerts. I know it's your theme song. But right now, you've written this song for me, mm -hmm. for my film. <laughs> so I had to take that attitude. Mm -hmm. Then I could separate the legend from what I needed mm -hmm. and then I became very ruthless about the songs I wanted didn't mm -hmm. want the lyrics that worked didn't work and obviously Dancing in the Dark everyone thinks is a very dance number yeah. you know with Courtney Cox coming on at the end but the lyrics are very powerful and they're mm -hmm. about a kid feeling totally alienated and trapped in their own body in their own town and just desperate to get out mm -hmm. and times are really hard for them and they've got nowhere to go but there's something happening somewhere you know I um, just know that there is you just know that there is you know and I'm sick and tired of sitting here trying to write this book mm -hmm. you know it's got to be something else for me in this world <laughs> you know so I made the decision we'd always talked about having words on the screen, but I made the decision that I didn't want to subtitle the songs mm -hmm. and the songs had to be part of the fabric of the film sure. and not just in the background. And so I started animating the words that mm -hmm. mattered. So I pulled out the words that Javid would have connected to. Yeah, as opposed the, the to sort lines. of phrases even that phrases. Jump out even So when within... he says, I need some help mm -hmm. and the word help comes out, a spark a spark happens and there's a spark. And so I made the words emotional. Mm -hmm. I had to. And so that sequence 
where Jarvid first hears Bruce, I wanted it to feel like the first time anybody had heard that music that mm-hmm. meant so much to them, or means still means so much to them. And so it, it was like a very big cinematic moment, but I knew that the film stood or fell mm-hmm. with that scene. So I put everything into shooting it. There's lots of... Uh, Wind machines going. I was going to say, it's in the middle of a storm. How did you shoot that? Was it, yeah, wind machines everywhere? Yes, it was 1987, the night of the storm, right. So we were recreating the storm on this estate. Uh, Well, uh, we did, you know, whatever I had to hand, which was wind machines, Mm -hmm. leaves, lots of, uh, I had projections, and I just selected the words carefully and the Mm -hmm. images. But when it came to every single song in the film, I don't cut, I Mm -hmm. use the bits and where there are moments where there's a relevant lyric and then there's a bit of an irrelevant lyric and then there's a a relevant lyric I have Jarvid fast forward his (laughs) walkman to it because I didn't want to cut Bruce's songs but there was one song I was desperate to use in the film and that was Jungle Land Mm -hmm. but I couldn't use the whole if you don't know it's eight minutes long it's an epic yeah exactly eight minutes long and it's an opera Mm-hmm. in itself it tells the whole story of these characters but i knew in my scene i had seen with the national front marching mm-hmm. and i in my head always heard the saxophone solo from uh, jungle land mm-hmm. in that and i also wanted to use the slow piano bit and i also wanted to use the the last verse, because that was what was relevant. But I was going to have to cut up the song. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I can't do this without asking for Bruce's permission. Sure. And I went to Broadway and I saw his show. You saw the Broadway show I live. saw the Broadway oh. show three times, actually. Amazing. This was the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely blown away. And at the end, I went into this little room and Bruce came out and he was, like, obviously quite tired and he was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I said, great. I said, we hadn't started shooting at that point. We'd mm-hmm. been prepping. And I said, but I need to ask you a question. And I hope you don't mind. But I'm being very uh, respectful with your music. Mm-hmm. He said, that's good to hear. <laughs> I said, but Jungle Land, I'm in a quandary. I have this scene with the National Front, which is Britain's right wing party, Nazi party, we used to call them. <laughs> and they're marching through the streets. And all I hear is Clarence's saxophone playing under that, his euphoric saxophone, mm-hmm. which is for me very spiritual in that song. It just rises above that song and floats. <laughs> and I said, that's what I want is that sense of floating above this march, putting it into a context. And I see Jungle Land doing that, and then I want to use the piano and the verse, but I'll have to cut the song to the pictures. Can I do that? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he went, wow. He said, I think Clarence would really love that. Mm. You must do that. And I was like, oh, Bruce. So that whole sequence... You know, it's for Clarence. Yeah, and Clarence that's Clarence one of the, things the Bruce, Bruce, iconic Bruce, saxophonist. Yes, iconic saxophonist of Bruce. And um, that was one of the things that really touched Bruce when he saw the film mm-hmm. was how I had used Clarence's uh, sax there. I think that scene as well, that clash with the with the EDL, uh, with the um, National Front, sorry, just yeah, you in. made it well, relevant. <laughs> it, it did. It did feel scarily relevant because there are so many fun things where it's playing with with the eighties and with the time mm. period, and that it's sort of thirty odd years ago. But that makes it feel very scarily current with the EDL, with all of the sort of racist 
kind of dog whistle politics of of Brexit and that kind of thing. Yes. Do you think that this is a film that people need to see now because of the way that it approaches those issues? Well, I don't know if it's a film that people need to see. I think it's the film that I wanted to make because yeah. of all those reasons. The reason I decided to make this my my next film after Viceroy's House was precisely because Brexit was announced. Mm. You know, we had the vote and overnight society broke down. People felt that they could be xenophobic, they could get on buses and shout at people. And I just was shocked. Uh, So a breakdown in civil society. And some of this was happening here in London, in my Mm. hometown. I was like, how can this be? And I just picked up the script and then did a Brexit pass, if you like, mm-hmm. you know. I just said, no, I, I need to say something about this. I need to use my voice and I need to remind people just how harrowing it was for us mm. back then in the 80s. You know, I grew up in a shop, um, my mum and dad's shop. People could come in at any time and hurt us, mm. you know. We we never knew when that door opened, we never knew if it was going to be a good customer or someone mean, you mm. know. And I remember growing up with that, that terror, really. Yeah. So I wanted to make those scenes very visceral and remind people of the history of how we've come to being the diverse country we are mm-hmm. and what some of the struggles were that we went through, not even our parents, what we went through as a timely reminder to say we, we don't want to go back there, you know. And hopefully... You know, the young people who watch the film, they can't believe, you know, they say, God, was it really that bad? Mm. We can't believe it. And my attitude is, you better believe it and don't let it happen again. Be part of the process. Be part of the political process. So I really hope, particularly young people, come away with that thought watching (laughs) the film. Can you remember any specific things when you did the the Brexit pass that that kind of made its way into into the screenplay? Um, I think that it was just making sure that I kept scenes in like the the skinhead spitting, Mm -hmm. the little boys pissing through the door. Mm -hmm. Um, That actually happened to the real Roops' family, you know, Amalak, his family. It was not shying away from, from that and making you feel it through Javid. So, for example... When he's lost his mojo, mm-hmm. and I don't want to give it away, but there's a part <laughs> where he's not feeling too good. He was all riled up and he was like going for it. And then something happens and he feels like he can't fulfill his, his purpose, his dream. And he comes upon a scene with uh, his father's friend and this graffiti, you know, all over their house. Mm. And in a way, it's when he sees that he is able to turn a corner and go, you know what? I'm not going to let that define me. I'm mm-hmm. going to move on. And society will move on. And that, sadly, is the reality for all those uh, right-wing, <laughs> hate fueled politics. You know, the problem is, is that they're, you know, they're in many ways dinosaurs, you mm-hmm. know, because the majority of the world is civil. The majority of the world do get along, you know, and want to get along. It's just pockets that, you know, have loud mouths that make you think otherwise. But normally, I would say the reaction that I've been getting to the film, particularly in America, people aren't even talking about the fact that Javid is a Muslim, you know, and a Pakistani. People are going, this is a British film, you know, that's cute, and it's about a father and a son. Yeah, It's almost 
colorblind. I mean, honestly, it's in Dallas. No one ever asked me questions about the culture side. Everyone's just yeah. asking about the power of the story. <laughs> Result, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Springsteen brings everyone together. Yes, everyone absolutely. Together. I could sit and talk about the uh, sort of healing powers of Bruce Springsteen all day, but I think we've got to let you go. So thank you so much for your time, Grinda Charlie. Thank it's been you. lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> Okay, so that was Gurinder Chadha, and we'll be talking later on to the star of the film, Fefek Kalra. But first, it is time for movie news. And by movie news, I mean the Event Horizon TV show. Yeah, so there's an Event Horizon TV show. Great. That's cool. News. Is this pilot TV podcast, James? <laughs> What's happened? No, it's not. And I'm actually going to talk about it on that, so I'm not going to get too oh, into this, and I'm going to sure. let you talk about this. But I will say one other piece of news, since you have brought up the Pilot TV podcast, and I must emphasize, I cannot emphasize enough, I did not bring this up. You opened this particular can of other podcasts, not Mm -hmm. me. I will say that we have a very special Pilot TV podcast going out on Monday, and let me tell you why it's special, because Terry's not on it. Oh, By which dra- I mean. You've drafted someone into, oh, finally, this is my right. chance to be on the Pilot TV podcast. Yeah, so, because, so you know. Terry, Terry couldn't make the Pilot TV podcast on account of being on the lamb in Sicily at the moment, yeah. and so we thought, who do we know who's funny and a broadcaster, oh, and charismatic, and just and entertaining, and just yeah. and just a good egg. Oh well, that's great. Thanks. And so, popular TV comedian uh, Rasheen Conaty is going to be on the podcast, filling in for Terry. That's a funny way to pronounce Helen O'Hara. Yeah. Yeah, well, we thought, you know, who's the best kind of Irish heritage person that we know? And Jean uh, Fitzpatrick. And, and it was, and it was Rasheen Connerty. So, uh, so she's coming in later today to record this, which will be up on Monday. Oh, wow, great. Um, sounds, sounds brilliant. Yeah, Can't wait for that. Writer, awesome. star of the popular yep. okay. Channel 4 comedy Game yep. Face. Oh, uh-huh. sounds oh, great. Yeah, fab. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait to listen to that. <sighs> So anyway, I mean, Monday's also when the Hobbs and Shaw spoiler special with director David Leach will be up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hey, who's um, counting? That's what we're doing, is it? Who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear Lord. Anyway. The Event Horizon TV show, James. Yes. Hurrah. Yeah. Um, I really don't know that much about it. Um, yeah. It's going to be an Amazon. It's going to be apparently an adaptation of the film, so it's going to be quite faithful to it. Uh, and it's going to have Adam Wingard involved as well as, I believe, the uh, film's original producer, Lloyd Levin. So, so how do you is, do this? Do you do this, like, uh, Haunting of Hill House kind of creep show, you know, just kind of a longer version of the film? Like, Because it can't be more than one series on what we see, can it? Unless they yeah. send a whole lot of ships it's, after. It's hard to, it's, I mean, unless it's a real slow burn type thing, you know, maybe. are they looking more at something like Night Flyers or the other... There's been a few sort of supernaturally sci-fi sort of shit-based shows recently. Not <laughs> yes, all I'm aware good. of a supernatural mm. show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, these have fewer nipples than that one, but and oh these God. are space nipples too. But uh, but I don't know. So a slow burn, like really creepy, scary thing, I think mm. could work. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know what this would be, but I, I'm very interested to mm. see it. But the, well, the biggest problem things, is, you? You could, you how do you have Doctor William Weir without Sam Neill? You can't do it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. You can't do it. Can you imagine Sam? I can't imagine Sam Neill coming back to this role. I'm not going to be naked again. <laughs> He's not going to do that. I think you could go a number of ways with this. You could tell the story of the original crew of the mm. Event Horizon mm. as things go wrong on that ship. And they take their own eyes out. And then season two might be a retelling of the events of the film, which, as we all know, was a lot longer and a lot gorier and a lot mm. more intense. And then most of the footage got lost and deleted mm. and it was an assault mine in Transylvania. Yeah. That's my, my understanding. But um, I also understand that part of it does exist, but on a VHS, yes. it's very degraded. Um, but 
yeah, I'm excited about this. I think the the first film is the original film is tremendous and really really scary and uh, has become something of a cult classic over the last few years. Mostly due and to your efforts. Mostly due to me. <laughs> uh, Ada Wingard is a terrific uh, horror director mm-hmm. and might be looking to get back into that genre after Godzilla versus Kong, which will be out next year, which is still a film that is happening and. I'm excited about it. Mm. Fingers crossed. Fingers Absolutely. crossed. But I wonder if they're going to go that way. Who knows? We mentioned Taika Waititi before. Can we talk about his new film? Mm-hmm. Sure. So he, we know he's making Jojo Rabbit, obviously, which is out later this year. We know that he's going to make Thor Love and Thunder, but mm. that's a little bit of a way away. Yes. And in the meantime, he's going to knock out another story entirely, which is great. So it's based on the 2014 documentary Next Goal Wins, which I mm. had seen way back, but I actually went back and watched yesterday. And in um, fact, people can go back and listen to the episode of the Emperor podcast on oh which I talk to that film's lovely directors oh that's right yeah I forgot yes. that uh, um, back in 2014 the directors are of course Mike Brett and Steve Jameson so right. go and check out that old episode and it is the story of uh, basically American Samoa's attempts to qualify for the World Cup so they are the famously the, or they were famously the losingest team ever on, yes. in international football they'd lost to Australia at one point 31-0 mm-hmm. um, which was I think quite traumatic for all involved, um, maybe not the Australians. And they basically then started to sort of try and really dig down, take this seriously and kind of climb up the rankings. And they brought in a Dutch coach, Thomas Rongen, who basically attempts to turn them into, you know, winners, at least of one match. Like, let's win a match. And that's kind of what Next Goal Wins is about. And it's incredibly charming and weirdly feel good, even when they're losing because they're just Love the the team are made of lovely, lovely people. So it, it's a really um, interesting documentary, and yeah. I'm really intrigued to see what Taika does with it because I think it's absolutely right up his alley. I agree. I agree. I'm fully on board with this. Football is a tough nut to crack on the old big screen. Mm. Documentaries seem to do the best way of doing it, but uh, I think if anyone can get involved and make it work, it's going to be Taika. So yes, fully on board for this. And I have to say, guys, I'm fully on board as well for Eurovision. <laughs> which is the Will Ferrell comedy. Mm-hmm. James, just you might as well just leave the room for this yeah. bit. Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. Oh, I'm back in the room. Yeah. Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams and David Dobkin, so the director of Wedding Crashers, mm. reuniting with two members of the cast of Wedding Crashers. And we knew this film was going to be about the Eurovision Song Contest in some way. And this week, I think it actually started filming this week, and they've, <laughs> they've announced... <laughs> The premise of this movie and the premise of this movie has me on board immediately. Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams will play aspiring Icelandic musicians. (laughs) (laughs) Lars Eriksson and Sigrid Eriksdottir. Pierce Brosnan will star as Eric Eriksson, Lars's father and the most handsome man in Iceland. I mean, I'm I'm there. I'm already there and they go to the Eurovision Song Contest and yes. I have only one query about this and my my concern is that the Eurovision is almost impossible to make fun of because it is already so ridiculous mm. and and the only worry is that they literally can't make it more ridiculous than it is counterpoint okay the Eurovision episode of Father Ted no I know yeah and and that is glorious and special and always will be. I've never seen it. You've, oh my oh, God. Perhaps you could do it on one of your, your little funny or dire slots on, yeah. um, <laughs> on the pilot TV podcast. My lovely horse. Do you horse. know what? You can watch That's that a and, very yeah. good shout. No one has suggested Father Ted and it is a show I have never watched. So, I, <gasps> Keith, if you're listening, if you could write in and suggest Father Ted for Funny or Dire, that would be great. 
<laughs> good lord <laughs> <laughs> how is Keithy says he's good he's good I'm speaking of um, really funny or die no I don't know anyway Venom 2 <laughs> Venom, I mean because yeah. it's both deadly and Venom, kind of funny Venom, Venom. yeah and there was news this week uh, Michelle Williams has confirmed that she will return and more to the point Andy Serkis has been confirmed as director yes we were talking about this with Nick Frost weren't we last week um, it's a bit of a poison chalice like the first one made loads of money and yet mm. is objectively not good so it's it, this could also but it has a lot of fans it does have a, a lot, lot of fans. people will stand by it but why it's know. no equilibrium, Chris. It is no equilibrium, and that's the problem. Maybe mm. that is the problem. Maybe, maybe that's the problem many films suffer. Yeah, there's not enough gun cutter in it. Yeah, it needs more gun... Is it gun kata or kata? Maybe I'm just mispronouncing it. Anyway, who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, Phantom 2, it's very hard for me to get excited about this, but I'm hopeful that, as ever, is it, it's Christmas Eve on the Empire podcast when it comes to all films, and Andy Serkis, you know, he's got... Mm. Maybe as a director, he hasn't fully shown his potential. And uh, this might be a chance to do it. I'm sure they picked him because of his uh, propensity for mocap and um, mm. yeah, and working with performance capture and CG and all that sort of stuff. I think so he did a very good job. He's a dab hand, mm. and you know, the only way is up, right? As Yaz once sang. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too long ago. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't involve Tom Hardy sitting in a tank of lobsters. I'm not interested. Well, see, the thing is, I mean, he uh, Circus has apparently said that Tom Hardy is very involved in writing this one, and that is one of the things that gives me hope. Because you got the sense that the gonzo comedic elements of Venom, where he is sitting in a lobster tank in a restaurant and just going slightly nuts and having that sort of back and forth banter between Eddie Brock and, and Venom, which were the only parts of that film that worked. Mm. Uh, the rest of it was like a movie that escaped from the 1990s. Yeah, it was. It you know, yeah. just suddenly was running amok. Poor Riz Ahmed was just left with nothing to do. Oh, yeah. And Michelle, talk about Michelle, people oh, boy. left nothing to do in Michelle Williams. But there, there are little hints about where it could go if it fully embraces the chaos and I think if Tom Hardy's involved from the, in the from a writing standpoint, yeah. or at least in the room with people, then hopefully they'll fully embrace that chaos. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Riz Ahmed, so that brings me to Chris Morris, who of oh course made God. Four these are, Lions. These are world-class segues. Are they? <laughs> they really are. <laughs> um, but yeah, the trailer came out this week for The Day Shall Come, which is his new film, which looks to be somewhat in the tradition of Four Lions. So this mm. is about essentially the FBI manufacturing a terrorist threat out of very nearly thin air and it looks uh, really it actually looks very very funny and extremely disturbing and political so basically kind of what we'd expect from Chris Morris but I um, can't wait to see that because he has yet to really ever put a foot wrong fair enough fantastic so here's a thing that I read and then reread and then read again to make absolutely sure that I you know read it Wesley Snipes yes mm. is going to be in coming to America yeah, yeah, here for it. Yeah, what? as General EZ. Why did you have to reread that? Well, because it's Wesley Snipes and coming to America. These are not things that I generally associate with each other. I just thought it was it was a bold move for Wesser. I'm I'm down <laughs> with it. Sir. I am absolutely here for this film. I can't even begin to tell you. I love coming to America, mm. and I also love Eddie Murphy. I also love Wesley Snipes. So this is working out quite well. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Jones is also in this, which is quite exciting. And it's isn't it Prince Akeem returns to America to search for his long lost son. Oh, cool! And this is a film that has been. I'm not saying circling the drain, but it's certainly been in the orbit of something for quite some mm. time. So I'm very excited to see that it seems to be finally moving forward. I've decided that Leslie Jones is very much my people since she posted a, a, a rant on Twitter about uh, Cap shaving his beard. Did she? Yeah, in Endgame. Wow. It's, it's one of the most charming and delightful <laughs> things and true and right things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I must admit, much as I hate to in any way validate your obsession with Cap's beard, Chris Evans 
without a beard is a lesser being than Chris Evans with beard. I'm telling you. And again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Chris Evans' beard is good. Cap's beard is even better. <laughs> I can't explain why, and but it just is. It's no uniform. Because Chris Evans, when he has is. a beard, tends to be wearing like blue polo necks and whatnot. <laughs> but Cap... He's wearing that that you know, especially the, the sort of the, yeah, the, the dark uniform, uniform yeah, is been scuffed. The uniform is good, mm. but um, but I mean, Chris Evans wears a lot of plaid shirts for which I have a weakness. You know, born of fifteen years yeah. of supernatural. Well, so this, this may already have answered this question, but who then for you, Helen? What is the best movie beard? Uh, so we say Cap at the moment. Yeah. So yeah. Why would you ask that? Although <laughs> be, like, I mean, there's other Brendan ones. Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson yeah. in, uh, in in Calgary. In, uh, Calvary. Yeah, Calvary. Calvary. It, that's a no one. I mean, the stripes beard. are extraordinary. Just wonderful. Yeah, I can't believe no Mel Gibson said. for all his issues actually gives quite good stripy beard. He does, but he loses points for being Mel Gibson, whereas Brendan Gleeson gains, <laughs> yeah, gains points, points for, for being Brendan Gleeson yeah, for not being Mel Gibson. Presumably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> double points, <laughs> double points. All right. So, anything else to talk about? Any other bits of movie news? I Chris, mean, there's so much, but no. Chris Pine's going to play Walter Cronkite in a Is film he? called Newsflash. That's, Ooh, that's exciting news. Uh, He's got Ed, a good voice, Chris Pine, so that kind of makes a certain amount of sense. He does. Doesn't look a lot like Walter Cronkite. No, but, not you know, even slightly, yeah. but you know. If I were Walter Cronkite, I'd be, well, first of all, I'd be like, why am I alive? But then I would be like, oh, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm okay with that. That's an upgrade. Unless you're okay. Chris Pine. Yeah, Chris Pine, you'd be going, oh, no. But, you know, yeah, still, he'll be a handsome, handsome Cronkite. Um, uh, Beanie be Feldstein good. is going to play Monica Lewinsky in American Crime Story. Yes. Season three. That's I interesting saw that. casting. And Monica Lewinsky is going to produce that as well, which is yeah. interesting. So that's going to be a lot of fun, uh, hopefully. What else did I see? I saw something the other day. Guillermo del Toro has added a whole bunch of cast members to his film Nightmare Alley. So there's old Macaron Perlman, Richard Jenkins, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, and Kate Blanchett, Kate and Rooney Blanchett. Mara making it a Carol reunion. Ooh. People Which are going to love that. Um, anything else to talk about before we uh, get on to the big old plug section and talk about this week's issue? I mean, uh, Disney Plus are planning to reboot Home Alone, Night at the Museum, and others. Mm-hmm. Um, cheaper by the dozen as well. So basically kind of Fox family films. Diary of a Wimpy Kid has also been mentioned. Um, so there'll be something on the streaming service. We don't know exactly what yet. There were rumors I saw that, for example, Home Alone might be gender flipped. The big problem there, presumably, is do they not have cell phones? But otherwise, you know, they're all kind of tried and true, tested stories. So yep. it might be quite fun. Go for it. I will I will still say, uh, I've said this on Twitter before. I'll say it again. The Home Alone sequel they should make, and it would be difficult, <laughs> is a Home Alone sequel set in a nursing home. And you have Harry and Marv, and they're aged, and they're in the nursing home. And then Kevin turns up, and he... Is psychotic. He is a psychopath. And he's trying to get yeah. in. He is. He, he is he's just. He is just. He's a psychopath. Mm. And so he turns up and he's trying to kill Harry and Marv. And they have to team up with the uh, yeah. the other inhabitants of the old people's home to to fight back with a series of, of hilarious booby traps. Hilarious. I wrote a piece for another publication a few years back about what would actually happen if Home Alone happened. So at what point would, would Harry and Marv be dead? <laughs> and they would be quickly. dead. Yeah, quite quickly. So Kevin really is at risk, um, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin posted a picture this week. He did, oh my yeah. God, of did him, he? Of him in his pants, uh, sitting <laughs> on the sofa, playing video games and going, this is what a Home Alone <laughs> reboot would really look like. looks like. <laughs> today. Um, 
I'm kind of okay with this. A lot of people were up in arms about this and going, oh my God, you can't remake Home Alone. You can't remake Night at the Museum. Guys, these are, well, I know Ho- this Home is, Alone is I'm about to make great. a controversial statement okay. here. Home Alone is not pretty great. Home Alone oh. is a terrible film. Uh, it is a terrible, terrible film and it could stand to be remade perhaps, I don't know, with some story logic applied to it oh, at any point. Oh my God. That would be quite How nice. How dare you? Yeah, I rewatched that film last, last year trying to find something to like about it and I found nothing. Catherine O'Hara is in it. You yeah, she is absolute good. monster. Yeah, that's true. And John Candy. Uh, yeah, I mean, Joe Pesci's in it. The yeah. worst parents in the world. You're the worst parents in the world. <laughs> right. Anyway, okay. we should probably talk note. about reviews. No, we should talk about the, uh, the new issue of Empire. Oh, We've yes, already we mentioned it a little bit. Mm. So it's the 30 covers, 30 films for mm. 30 years thing. There's a lot of great stuff aside the issue. Uh, we spoke to a number of filmmakers behind those films. For example, I had the pleasure of talking to Frank Darabont, who's been off the radar for a little bit, and he's loving life, living outside Hollywood these days. Who knows? He might have something in the works. We we don't Ooh. know. We don't know. But uh, had a great chat with Frank, uh, George Miller as well, about Mad Max Fury Road, Edgar Wright talking about Shaun of the Dead. There's lots of other great stuff inside the issue as well. Other people spoke to other people. We had people <laughs> write stuff on other films. It's, it's a whole big thing None Souvenir of Joanna Hogg Souvenir Joanna yep, Hogg yeah six pages on Joanna Hogg I spoke to Ryan Johnson about Knives Out I'm just remembering things I did because I remember yeah, it yeah. but yeah. Uh, other people did great stuff as well <laughs> I realise this may not be selling it that well but it's really good Yeah, it won't cut your fingers our anti-paper cut technology is off the charts <laughs> And uh, it's available right now in all good and evil news agents. It's got film reviews in there. Yeah, it does. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for example. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's got film news in there. Lots of interviews mm. and lots of pictures of movies that haven't come out yet. That's exciting. And there's my section, the review section, which has lots of pictures and interviews with people talking about films that have come out. Cool. So that's cool. It's a, it's a whole mix. What's your favourite cover? Oh, that's tough. Well, I suggested and lobbied for Blade. Yes. I thought you might say that. Got Blade. Mm. And Blade, Blade actually got a cover. Blade. Blade. Laser. Blade. 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 <laughs> it's impossible to do that. <laughs> it's impossible not to do that, rather. Um, um, yeah, I, I like Spirited Away being on the cover. I think that's mm. really exciting. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting choice as well. So we went back and forth. We had lots of internal debates about mm. the films. You will, of course, disagree. Mm. Uh, well, we have also disagreed, and we've written some articles on the website about the films that we disagreed about because there was some that's lively right. debate in the office. Yeah. Mm. over what should be on the covers. Attack which, the Clones didn't get a cover. Indeed. Equilibrium didn't get a cover. <laughs> no, no, that was shocking. Event wow. Horizon didn't get a cover. What the yeah, fuck is going Yeah, all of these seem on? sensible, so... Wouldn't you not have bought a naked William Weir cover? <laughs> no, I would not. Okay. I demand that he wear a plaid shirt. <laughs> <laughs> With cut-out nipples. Oh cut-out nipples. Oh, That's so upsetting. Mm. Anyway, it's available right now in all good and evil news agents and digitally as well. So go and pick it up. Pay my wages. You absolute fuckers. That's not the way to speak to readers. It really isn't. Scum. No. Subhuman scum. No. I'll try that instead. Thanks, Helen. (laughs) Pay my wages, you absolute subhuman scum. Again, Chris, you want them to pay your wages, so maybe be nice to them. Okay, sorry. Pay my wages, you lovely people. That doesn't sound that's right. That's good. No, that's good. that's really good. I feel like you, you're you on the right track. There, I want to say subhuman scum. No, I know you do, but really, just let's Lovely let's people. Go. There you go. Okay. But mainly subhuman scum. Oh, God. Time now for our second guest. You've already heard from Grinda Chada, the director of Blinded by the Light. But now we're going to hear from the star of the film, a young up-and-coming British actor called Vivek Kalra. And again, Ben was speaking to him. Do please enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Empire podcast, Vivek Kalra, the star of Blinded by the Light. How are you doing, man? 
good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Are you, are you doing all right? Because I heard it was the gala screening last night, and sometimes yes. there are parties after those yes, things. Yes, there was, there was, and I, I did go, and I stayed mm-hmm. till the end, but I still feel sort of fairly fresh. Um, That's good. But it ended quite early um, oh, okay. for an after party, which is all right. <laughs> That's good. You don't want to come into a, a day of press like this with an absolutely raging hangover. Yes, yes, um, that's not that's not for me. I can imagine that the party last night was it Springsteen heavy on the music. Ish. It was like a mix of Springsteen and Indian music, which is really cool. Nice. And um, we had really cool like uh, DJs come in, mm-hmm. and then they sorted us out with some cool stuff. Amazing. Any like crossover of the two? Any sort of like yes. mixes? So you got that's like, what it was. That's really? what it was. It was Springsteen with um, hints of like. Indian drums and stuff, which is really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as we've sort of hinted about, this is a film that uses the the music and the words of Bruce Springsteen to tell the story of uh, Javed, who's a kid in Luton mm-hmm. growing up in the 80s, who discovers Bruce Springsteen. And as with anyone who discovers Bruce Springsteen, including me, it busts their world yeah. right open. Yeah. This was your first film. How, how did this come about for you? How did you get involved in the project? Um so G, my director, G, um, <laughs> she saw me on a TV show mm-hmm. called Next of Kin mm-hmm. on ITV with the wonderful Archie Punjabi, who is Kalinda in The Good Wife, if you have seen that. And she saw me in that, so she invited me into audition. Mm-hmm. Had three auditions. Wow. And all of a sudden was on a film set. And it was a sort of whirlwind, crazy sort of experience and very proud to be a part of it. You mentioned so three um, auditions there. Yes. It, was it one of those things where you're like, did they give you a bit of the actual script? Did they give you a sense yes. of what the film was? Or yes, was it one yes, of those yes, things? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So I got the full script through, mm-hmm. read it all, loved it. I thought it was amazing. I thought, I mean, it's odd because I it resonated with me a lot. Mm. But, you know, it's not similar to my life at all. Right. So it, is a, it was an odd thing in which, you know, this character was so sort of totally different to me. The world in which he lived was so different to me. But still somehow something resonated with me more than, you know, anything else I'd ever read, ever, you know, mm. not just script, but any piece of writing. I'd never read a piece of writing that resonated with me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was it about it? Was it the sort of East meets West culture stuff? Was it the the music? Was that yeah. your way in? What was it, I, do you think? I think it was the sort of purity of it and the way in which it was written. And, you know, you don't see the stage directions, uh, um, obviously, in the film, but just some of the stage directions are hilarious. I remember uh, uh, the girl who plays my sister in the film, Nikki, she plays a character called Shazia. Uh, one of the stage directions was Shazia's chopping onions wearing <laughs> wearing swimming goggles and that's just like they're just little tidbits like that which are like so hilarious because it's just such a like a funny like sort of cultural nuance to pick up on mm-hmm. and those were the things I was sort of you know warm to and excited by and had you grown up watching um Gurinder's films like I, I think I was maybe like 10 or 11 when Bend It Like Beckham came yeah. out so I, I have like vivid memories of yeah. seeing that did you grow up on yeah, her films I, th- in that I think if you're British Asian you know who she is and her fi- that film was actually quite revolutionary in a sense and is still ahead of its time to this day like to have a a young British Asian lady who has a great passion for football. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a story that's really ahead of its time in many ways. Mm-hmm. Just like G was, I think, as a filmmaker, to be British, Asian, 
a female and being in a creative industry or wanting to be in a creative industry back when she was starting, that's not a good combination of factors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's especially not even now. Yeah, let alone, like the odds are stacked against let, you. There. Yeah, let alone 20 years ago. Mm. And so coming out of Sundance at the start of this year, one of the most amazing thing about it was that I came out of Sundance and I saw a headline that said, two biggest sales of Sundance, Asian women directors. Mm. Mindy Kaling's Late Night. Yes, yeah. Which sold for 14 million. And there was Gorinda Chadda's Blinded by the Light, which sold for 15 million. And that is so crazy. But it shouldn't be, you know what I mean? There, there mm. should be a time where that should be the norm. But um, it's amazing that these sort of strong Asian women are being, I wouldn't say being given a voice because they probably had to fight for it, mm. which I'm very lucky that I haven't had to, but yeah. um, are being seen because it's important. I think one of the things that's great about the film is, like you mentioned, the chopping onions with the um, goggles on. Yeah, It's so much about cultural specificity, but at the same time, universally relatable in a way. Of, yeah. Like, I love that sense that, of course, the person who completely relates to the music of Bruce Springsteen mm. is a kid from an Asian family in Britain rather than a, a white guy in New Jersey or whatever, that that sort of the essence of what that music is, of mm. hope, of passion, of escape... Mm. speaks to so many people. I th- I think the film sort of explores the idea that we are not as surface level as we seem. Mm. You look at Safraz now, who is the journalist, which the film is based on, amazing British journalist. Um, but you look at him now, he's a 48-year-old Pakistani man with an afro. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't look at him and think that he's been having a love affair with Springsteen for the past 30 <laughs> years. So it is a... There is that thing where it's like people are sort of considerably different to what you think that they would be. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of boxing people up is um, hopefully slowly fading away now because, yeah. you know, people are different than what you think that they should be. So one of my favourite moments in the film is when Roops, who is um, Javid's mate who he makes, who is the person who introduces him to Springsteen, yeah. slaps down two tapes on the table. I think it's yeah. Born in the USA and The River mm-hmm. and says, listen to these, they're going to change your life. Yeah. Did Gurinder Chada do that for you with Springsteen? Were you already a Springsteen fan? How? Uh, yeah. I wasn't a Springsteen fan. Mm-hmm. I'd heard his name. Um, and the whole idea of listening to loads of Springsteen was intimidating mm-hmm. because it's not a time period. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like, it was not like, 2019 music you know what I mean yeah um, it's, what's funny about it is that it wasn't even the time period of the film like yeah. even in the film as a 16 year old kid there are dads in the film that are listening to that music yeah so to me now to be a 21 year old saying that I'm a fan of Bruce Springsteen is odd yeah. it is <laughs> absurd but if you do look at his music and into his music mm. and read his lyrics they are poetry and that's one of the first things Javid does you know he has this epiphany moment he starts he starts hearing the music and you see him open the sort of cassette case mm-hmm. and look for the lyrics and he starts reading through the lyrics as well and that's because the lyrics have sort of such meaning and even if you hear a Bruce song and you think that seems quite surface level. Give it a Google mm-hmm. and you'll find out there's actually quite a lot more to it. Yeah, I like that little rant that you have in the film about uh, Born in the USA, which yes. obviously for a lot of people, it sounds like the most jingoistic song in the world, but actually it's a huge indictment of yes. the US and how Vietnam veterans were treated. And that was a slightly longer bit. I think it was sort of cut down slightly, but it was a slightly longer moment where I was like, that song's about the 
Vietnam veterans who struggled really badly when they treat home. Some argue it's a metaphor for the economic blah, 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 blah. And it was a really long sort of thing because it was like the sort of depth to the man's words is crazy. And so what was the, um, were you aware of the sort of greatest hits? What was the the album that got you in? Did you get into him sort of album by album through the course Um, of the film? I listened to everything post 87 um, because that's sort of the time of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, pre 87. Um, and didn't listen to anything post, mm-hmm. but that was that was really cool and sort of uh, I don't want to say enlightening, but I think it sort of was. I remember specifically sort of during the time of filming and slightly after as well. I couldn't listen to anything but Bruce, and I couldn't listen to then Top Forty music mm-hmm. because I just thought that it sounded to me as if it had no meaning in comparison to Bruce's words. Mm-hmm which I sort of slowly had to get myself out of and try and <laughs> listen like I need to, to listen to some other music. You know what I mean? Point. I had to really try and get myself out of it because I just kept listening to Bruce nonstop. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was really glad that made it in um, was one of my personal favourite Springsteen songs. It's actually a really pivotal song in the film is uh, The Promised Land yes. from Darkness on the Edge of Town. Yeah, And that is sort of the song that sort of opens Javid up. You have that great scene where he's, mm-hmm. In the storm, which is a really nice literalization of the lyrics of the blow away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the sort of moment that it feels like everything changes. And the way that the song is visualized, the way that the lyrics are visualized mm. is really interesting. Could you tell from, from the page, from the script, how Gorinda was going to visualize the songs and, and make them come alive in that way? Not really, no. I, it just sort of came together that way. It is, um, for me, what's interesting about um, the film and a sort of I guess the uniqueness of the film is that like Bruce gave us the rights to his music for the film, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen firstly, but it's also we're very lucky that, you know, there are posters of our film on tubes and stuff mm-hmm. now, et cetera, et cetera. But like we started off as a small indie film. So he didn't give us the rights to his music as a film where, you know, there are posters of our <laughs> film everywhere. He gave us the rights to his music as a very small indie film, filming in Luton, Pinner, and Ealing. Mm-hmm. He gave us the rights to his music then for next to nothing. Yeah, um, and I think that sort of speaks to the type of person that he is, mm-hmm. and that you know he was generous enough to do that. Yeah, I mean his songs are obviously all the way through the film, and there are moments as well where you sing his songs. Yes. How did you feel about singing? Was this yes. your first time singing on screen? Yeah. Do you sing? How How was that experience? Um, I like to sing in my personal life. That was the the sort of key thing was like separating myself from this character and being aware that like the character wouldn't sing like how I would sing, uh, and so you know you see the character singing at the top of his lungs, and that's because like. It makes him feel good. And, you know, I had a level of self-consciousness, which I had to get rid of. Right. Because as a young person, one of the things that you don't have is self-consciousness. That's what's so beautiful about young people in that, like, you see kids screaming at the top of their lungs, walking about the streets mm-hmm. because they feel, I guess, or are unsort of confined. Mm-hmm. And, you know, feel they're able to do that in a way in which, like, when adolescence hits you are sort of shrouded by a sheet of self-consciousness and I need to make myself smaller, particularly in in the UK and in Britain. There is a sort of reservedness uh, and a a thing of sort of making yourself as small as possible. But uh, the character in the film goes against that, which I think is pretty damn amazing. Yeah, it feels like he has to get the music out of him. He has to sort of belt it out. 
also in the film you've got people like uh, like Rob Brydon, like Hayley mm-hmm. Atwell. Yeah. What was it like working with them? What was it like hanging out with someone like Rob Brydon? Is he a he's, really nice chill dude? He's very funny. He's a yeah. very funny man. Um, my favourite sort of veteran actor to work with, though, who I'd work with, work with twice now, is a man called Kovinda Gear. Mm. He's a veteran actor, like proper veteran. He's been in the business for a long, long, long time. And he's a just a classic actor, like he's an actor's actor. And it was amazing having him opposite me and playing mm. my father in the film because a lot of the sort of emotional moments and the time when you need an actor's actor and just someone to really be there in those circumstances with you, you know, you need someone like that. So he was incredible to work with. Of course, Rob was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Haley was great. She's got a real sort of poise to her, which mm-hmm. is sort of something to aspire to. Um, and uh, Sally Phillips is hysterically funny. There's a scene where she pulls out a mobile telephone and it's the size <laughs> of like 12 bricks put yeah, together. it's huge. But she was hilarious. And I remember during that scene, she said it slightly, she'd like pick up the phone and answer slightly different every time so that we were just constantly cracking up. <laughs> and I don't know if she knew how funny she was, but she, uh, she's just hysterically funny. All of that like playful stuff with the 80s yeah, tech. Yeah, 100%. And it's so great. I'm trying to think if there are any other sort of like cool, like established actors. I think David Heyman mm-hmm. had a couple of scenes in the film and he was amazing. Did a couple of scenes opposite him and I just thought, blim and neck. Very interesting about that, which hopefully Corvinda won't mind me saying, is a scene where Javid opens his door mm-hmm. and then his mother and his father come to the door as well. And David Heyman is outside. He plays a neighbour. Mm-hmm. And I remember Corvinda saying to me that like, when he was young, that man is someone that he looked up to. So right. to be like playing someone in a scene like that is just mental. And I remember hearing David get some direction for a little bit mm-hmm. and he went all right and then just changed everything with like the tone of his voice wow and i was like how is this happening i was like this is <laughs> magical i was like witnessing magic but obviously yeah it's really cool so mm-hmm. it is a really cool sort of balance in the film between like older more established actors and the youth and the sort of young actors it was so cool to be around so many young people and people my own age, slightly younger, slightly older, varying levels of experience, et cetera, et cetera. It was an amazing thing to be a part of. And so tell me a bit about Sundance, because obviously that's where the film uh, blew up, where it, it yeah. kind of picked up the deal. Yes. Um, had an amazing reception. What were your expectations of going to Sundance? Yeah. And what was it like? Were there, was it parties? Was it fun? Or was it yeah. mostly business? Tell me about that. Sundance was a sort of, I guess, an intimidating sort of process, because mentally I was like, wow, this is crazy what's going on right now yeah but also it was really high altitude and it was the first time i had been anywhere that had any level of high altitude right so i was also like i was firstly in a weird sort of mental state because i was Mm -hmm. like what is going on like this is craziness (laughs) going on around us but i was also you know at a really high altitude so i was like (laughs) struggling to (laughs) i remember getting out of the airport and just going Guys, is it harder to breathe? Is it hard to breathe or am I just losing my mind? Is that just stress? Um, Is that exciting? Yeah. (laughs) I I remember we didn't see anything else. We just sort of were doing our own stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But hopefully if I go back at some point, it'd be really cool to see some other films. But I mean, the experience was good enough as it was. Yeah. Do you have a favourite specific memory from from being out there? So we did our our first, we did our world premiere Mm -hmm. at Sundance at the Eccles Theatre 
which is the largest space they have. So thank you to them for giving us, you know, the opportunity to be in that space. And that that seats 1,300 people. Mm -hmm. So the film played and then the film finished and there was a split second of silence or maybe a half a second, a second of silence. And in that moment, that was just the point where you're like, we are thousands of miles away from anything that we know, Mm -hmm. anything that I knew. And people could boo, you know what I mean? People could walk out, people could leave. Maybe they won't clap. Maybe this won't happen. But then to get a round of applause like we did and to have folks stand on their feet and applaud us was a real sort of, I don't know, it was a real sort of fulfilling thing to see and to have had. Yeah, and how do you feel now then that it's going to make its way out into the world in a in a wider way? I think it's really cool um, that people will, will get to see the film, but I think it's just important that initially, like, I didn't sign up for being on post in the tube i just signed up for a very small film that i thought had a lot of heart and i was like really you know fell in love with the the part and uh, the vehicle that carried that part and so for it to be in the position that it is now you know uh, all i can say is that i'm glad it's got its stage because you know a lot of people make really 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 great stuff Mm. but it has to be seen in order for you to continue doing that, which is sort of tragic but important at the same time. Yeah. Um, so we're very grateful for the platform. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Vivek Kalra. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, so that was Vivek Kalra, and now we should talk about Blinded by the Light, Helen. It is the big release of the week. We should, yeah. So this is um, set in the 80s, late 80s, and our hero is Javed, who's Vivek's character, who's... Um, you know, dreams of being a writer, but his father, who's played by Kulvinder Gear, is determined he'd be, you know, something sensible, doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer, mm-hmm. he doesn't mind which. Podcast host. Not so much. Um, but anyway, he's he's kind of going to sixth form college. He's beginning to try and kind of find his own path in life. He's He's got an inspirational English teacher played by Hayley Atwell. But it's really meeting a new friend, Roops, who's played by Aaron uh, Fagura, who introduced him to Bruce Springsteen. That His world kind of begins to open up. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets the courage to talk to a girl in his class. He gets the courage to kind of start standing up for himself. He gets the courage to express himself in his own words and kind of let people see that and make it public and, and talk about how he feels. And uh, and it's really that kind of journey to self-expression and being himself more. I mean, which kind of is unproductive, but there's a lot going on in this film. There's yeah. A background of being in this uh, this country in this environment where there's a lot of racism. It's let's be honest, all too recognisable to the times now. This is under Thatcher, and there are tensions in the streets. There's racists running around. There's National Front people spraying, you know, go home on walls and things like that. It's all too familiar, and um, and it's fighting against that kind of prejudice as well as trying to find a place where he can be part of his own family and still express himself as he as he wishes in in this country. So it's it's a really interesting film about identity, about class, about freedom, about growing up. You know, it's got a whole lot of kind of meat in here and I think it's it's really well developed by Vivek himself and by the by the young cast in particular. For me, it was a little bit long at times. I felt like it could have been a bit tighter. And some of the kind of stylistic flourishes, uh, you know, like Bruce Springsteen lyrics sort of appearing on a wall behind him as he walks. Um, some it's, At times the movie kind of goes into full-on fantasy, but it mm. doesn't quite stay there. It kind of, you know, it doesn't quite become a musical. It doesn't mm. quite go the full way. 
And so that kind of made the tone a little bit uneasy for me and I wasn't quite sure how I was supposed to feel about that. But at the same time, you know, the story is so recognisable and the characters are so recognisable that you you kind of do still stick with it and wish them well. And a great soundtrack, obviously. And a great well. soundtrack, yeah. obviously, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we give this four stars. Four stars. Four stars then for Blinded by the Light. A couple of other films out this week, a couple of new releases, the likes of Playmobil the movie and yeah. The Art of Racing in the Rain, which despite having Kevin Costner voice a dog, <laughs> apparently isn't that good. You would think, right? Yeah, we, but, gave, we gave both of those two stars. Yeah. Two stars. So definitely Blinded by the Light. Or... Well, there's Notorious, oh. uh, the Alfred Hitchcock film uh, with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman has a re-release this week. And if you've never seen it on the big screen, which I hadn't mm-hmm. until recently, I'd only ever seen it on DVD, that is so, so recommended. I mean, the heat between those two is insane. See, It's I, a very mm, sexy film. I, I, I dispute that. Really? There's no sexy film made before 1970. Okay, you understand that sexy doesn't mean the same as sex no. having, right? I, I mean, there's no. there's a lot of sexiness in that there film. There has to be nudity. There is not. There does and not. Preferably going at it. Okay. No, I, 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 no, I, I think you can have chemistry, but hot, really? From yeah. a movie made in the 1950s? 100%. Are you insane? No, I, I have a letter from my doctor. Okay, good. Uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic film, but uh, yeah. yeah. I, have never, I have never seen it on the big screen. So maybe that will help if, you know, if it's like suddenly 12 feet tall, Cary mm. Grant heads. Then maybe I'll allow some heat there, maybe. But, you know, on a small TV screen, you are it's just dead people, isn't it? Strange, sad little man. You have my pity. Old people. Nobody wants to see that. Okay, well, I would recommend that people do actually want to see it, Chris, and that they should. No, no, they should. They should see it, but nobody wants to see them, you know, getting the knot. Well, that's okay, because they won't, because it's not that kind of film. Well, therefore, it's not sexy. Well, therefore, you don't know what sexy means. Oh, my God. The defense rests, Your Honor. (laughs) So that's uh, three stars then for Notorious. or Uh, No. (laughs) No. Five? I think five. Five stars then for Notorious. What? Is it like a Hitchcock film or something? (laughs) Hey. What's going on? Um, Yes, do check that out this week. And Blinded by the Light as well. And maybe not the one where Kevin Costner voices a dog. Maybe not. Unless you really like dogs. And Kevin Costner. And Kevin yeah. Costner. But that's the thing, I like both dogs and Kevin Costner. Well, then it's the film for you. Five stars. Yeah. There we go, you heard it first. Our recommendation of the week is the dog film. Now, that's real heat. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. What? Keeps you sharp on the edge. Who <laughs> are? All right, okay. On that bombshell, that is it for this week's uh, <laughs> Tight 50. First time for everything. Tight 50 for the Empire Podcast this week. That's amazing. Should we just talk for another 15, 20 minutes? We're really this kind feels, of obliged to, aren't we? This feels wrong. This feels like we've, we've done ourselves a disservice. Anyway, join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by Simon Amstel, the Ooh. writer and director of Benjamin, which is now available, or will be available, on Monday uh, on DVD and digital. So you can pick it up, and then if you like what you see, then you can listen to Simon Amstel on next week's show, because he was a lot of fun. Hurrah! And you've already said that the Hobbs and Shaw spoiler Hobbs and will be Shaw spoiler special, yeah. yeah. And that's going to be up on Monday. And then the week after that, we will have our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spoiler special with, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, no, it's tip of my tongue. Um, Norman, no, something like that. Mm. Bob. Quantum, quantum something? Quantum of Solace. Quantum, quantum of Solace, yeah. With, uh, with Mr. Quentin Tarantino. That's going to be uh, interesting as well. Uh, what else? Then we've got the Kevin Feige thing. And the X Men Dark Phoenix spoiler special we go at some point, and uh, yeah, it's all it's all happening, it's all happening. But until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. 
Do enjoy the Pilot TV podcast, James. Thanks. Someone has to. That's hard. See, I thought you were being nice there for a second. I thought, wow, he is unbidden, giving the Pilot TV podcast some love. But, but no, no, you're just being a twat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll let me on. Anyway, yeah. it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. Do enjoy your weekend, Helen, and I mean that with the, the most sincere attitude. Thanks, I'm going to go <laughs> do a marathon, or maybe more what? than one. Why would you do that? Because it's a really pretty one. It's nice countryside and such. Also doing a half around a vineyard. I don't, I don't even drink. <laughs> what are you doing? Why do you do this to yourself? I don't know. Ask me on Sunday. Dear Lord. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. I am off to get a bus to Liverpool. 15-hour round trip. The Reds had better bloody win. Woo! Yeah. Oh, do join my fantasy football team as well. Uh, FantasyPremierLeague.com and look for the... <laughs> look for the fantasy... Uh, How are you plugging look this? Look for the fantasy league... Three points is a recommendation and join in oh and God. I've chosen a team and once again I've not chosen anyone from Everton, what, Chelsea, why Manchester are you City telling us? or Manchester United. So make him stop. If I win, the moral victory is mine. I'm not going to do this. Neither am I going to do this and I implore all of our listeners to not do this either. There will be many of our listeners who are into the footballs and into the fantasy premier leagues who will want to do this and they will want to Do not enable him. Their wits do not enable him. the best that the Empire podcast it's, has to offer but since you guys won't take part in it <laughs> It's for his own good people. Do, do not enable him. Fantasy.premierleague.com Oh my god. Three points is recommendation. See you there and uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. 